Well, Brent is gay, and Kaylin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Issue 145. I'm Kaylin. I'm Clark. I'm Ryan. Adam. And I'm Brent Wingate. So in today's episode, we've got a little bit of news flash. And then we've got... And then we're going to uh, discuss a few episodes of Doom Patrol Season 2 just came out. And then we've got some comics that have been uh, kind of been building up over the last few weeks. None from Marvel, unfortunately, but some from DC that are a lot of fun. So to my chagrin, with... this entire episode is basically just going to be DC stuff. <laughs> I know. So, I, so if I was listening to this, I would have turned it off. Please do, please do. Are you okay? You just is this a Marvel rumor that you made up, or is it something you read on screen? <laughs> Bitch, you don't know I'm deep in the dark web. I don't even know where I am. Okay, I thought Reddit. I thought Reddit banned you. <laughs> they did. Uh, all right, let's start. Let's start with some real news flash. Do, 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 do. So Marvel is the first item. Hey, the one time. They, <laughs> they have they got the rights for uh, both Aliens and Predator, which Dark Horse had held for like 30 years, if not longer. Uh, it's a pretty big coup for Marvel. They now uh, also have, uh, I mean, in addition to Star Wars, they've got like two of the other kind of big sci-fi action-y uh, properties from the last, you know, few decades. Um, which tells me, um, what kind of crossover do you think we'll see? Do you think we'll see some like Aliens versus X-Men, some Predator versus Avengers? Yes, so with Ryan. that in mind, they have released an image that is just Predator on top of Avengers uh, Tower, just holding Iron Man's head, like you just like <laughs> dipped it off of him. Which Who's they? I think the most obvious the Illuminati. Yeah, the most obvious crossover is Alien versus Spider Man. Um. Oh yeah, that's pretty good. And it be. I, I want to see Alien versus the Brood. That's what I was thinking. So like ba basically yeah. the exact same thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kitty Pride and Wolverine fight them. They're like, wait a minute, these aren't <laughs> so rude. We've dealt with this shit before. I get I get doing a really good uh, use of like space team. So like the Shi'ar, like all of the Nova Corps. If that's even slower. I feel like Nova Corps is always expanding and rapidly decreasing down to one person. So maybe that's not alive anymore. But I just feel like there's there's definitely more they can do in the cosmic universe. And I think Predator would play really well with, like, even, like, the Guardians of the Galaxy, honestly, because of Gamora. Um, and so I'd rather not see them on Earth, I think, because I think the aliens and Predators are much more interesting in space than, like, fighting a bunch of doohickey, even mutants, like, down on the planet. It just seems more been there, done that. Like, I'd like to see their, like, how they actually conquest. They're not so going to be this. They're not going to mix these together at all. How dare you? No. Of course they, they might. Not, they not might. in the cinematic universe, but maybe in the comics, but like a one-off. Oh, the yeah. Way it's that they did yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one's, yeah. No one's talking about the movies. It's all the comics. Oh, no. I'm, no, I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about the comics. They're not going to put that into continuity. No. They didn't I put know, Marvel well, into Marvel continuity. They didn't put Star Wars into it. They're not going to put an outside franchise and do it well, just in case at some point they don't have it anymore and then they have to do away with it like the micronauts and wrong well star wars is you know it's a galaxy long long time ago far far away but like uh aliens and predator have already crossed over with like superheroes remember that right. superman right. batman wildcats this could be the saint elsewhere of like sci-fi comics like everything is connected like it all happens no. that means that Hey, just bear with me, my nerdiness for a second. Like Marvel will do, I Marvel will do like like one-off stuff, out of continuity stuff, where like yeah. Captain America fights Predator, you know. Fine um, by me, yeah. yeah. All that kind of stuff is, I think, will happen. I think it just will. Like it, it it's already like there's there's precedence for it, like with other superhero uh, properties. Yeah, one shots are fine. I, I thought you meant in continuity because they're not going to put that shit in continuity at all. Oh no 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 no, no 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 no! It'll be one shot. No, no, no. It's like Later, Superman versus Muhammad Ali, which is technically in continuity. Me, are you telling me that I won't see in six one six Predator fighting Darth Vader fighting Aunt May? Because then I'm not reading comics anymore. Yeah. I mean, no, I, if that's the case, I want to read that. 
If only if Aunt May comes out on top, then I'll then I'll be then I'll be sold. Aunt May is a top, so yeah. What were you gonna say, Ryan? Just basically like the Avengers fight hordes and hordes of like monsters and just random aliens all the time. It'd be nice if one of the times that they did this in comics would just be like, oh yeah, that's Predator. Like it would be nice to know one of the random hordes that like they always fucking fight and like maybe have some sort of like validation rather than like yeah. the these outsiders. One of the aliens is just called outsiders. Like come on. Like it's just nonsense. <laughs> so stupid. We don't have a naming thoughts? department. Sorry our species isn't good enough for you, Ryan. Yeah, oh yeah, next next movie, next Avengers, the not heroes will be fighting against the Avengers if you can believe yeah. it. Uh, with that in mind, let's just, if we're speculating like nonsense people, um, you know how the Snyder Cut came out, guys? You know how that came out? It no, hasn't come out yet. Can find HBO Max, apparently. I, I think 22 million going towards it right now. Um, with that in mind, David Iyer, the guy that basically made Suicide Squad, said, well, guys, I got good news for you. I've created my own sort of thing. It's called the Iyer Cut, which doesn't have the same bombastic sort of like, like snappiness. Um, and it would be of everything that I wanted to happen in the Suicide Squad that did not happen. Are we just creating a reality that like encompasses all of these? Well, if I made that movie better, this is what I would have done. Because like, this is where we are at. It's, it's so a little stupid. bit cheating to try and go back and say, here's how I would have answered the, the questions on the test better. But I would 100% support this if all of his reshoots and edits were made from his home during coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> he's got like sock puppets and he's trying to like have character relationships. So you, you know how I, like the, en you know how the enchantress was just basically like a sea witch? If yeah. it's like filming in his bathtub and is she just like covered and wet and you're like he's got it, this brown paper tag puppet with googly eyes. <laughs> that's his that's just, like, just got one eye. <laughs> get his nine year old niece over and just throw plants and water on her and that that's <laughs> enchantress. Uh, and Ryan, I only this, this the only way stupid. I would watch this is if he dresses up as a bird and throws up into his own mouth. Well, uh, that, yeah, that I got time for. Like, if they're yeah. making big changes like that, that is monumental. That's but amazing, right? Thing, are, are we going to have and just the universe of, like, what if the DC films were good and now we have to live in that world? Like, what are we doing? Everyone okay, shut I, up. Make a new movie. You're paying $20 million? Make a new when movie. Is, when has there ever been a good director's cut? This is an honest uh, question. Blade Runner? I feel like Blade Runner has a good director's cut. I mean, which there's like five <laughs> versions of the original Blade Runner. Well, that's and... fair. And, <laughs> and usually it doesn't involve putting in massive amounts of money after the fact. It's simply reinserting content yeah. filmed and cut. So that's what I think is the biggest, like the most, the most different part, most different part of all of this is that like, this is literally like, like I think one of you just said, oh, we did it wrong. Can we do a do-over? And it's like, there's one thing to do like studio interference and like obviously cut out chunks that like help build out the overall movie. But like, you're literally like, if you're spending that much more money, it means you're yeah. creating an entire other movie. New movie. Yeah, exactly. Do a fucking independent film and shut the fuck up and get some accolades in some other way. Don't say, Ooh, that was a whoopsie. It's so annoying. I, I can't wait for the person who made Fantastic Four, the most recent one. No, no, no. Guys, no, no, Adam, oh, please don't put it out cut, there. The Josh no. Trank <laughs> I wanted Doctor Doom to be less entertaining. Like, what else are they going to do? Ugh. This is the most infuriating news. Okay, so everything will be based off of if the Snyder Cut does well or not. Oh, totally. Yeah. Let's take I it from there should. and everyone shut up in between. I think yeah, they, I'm they looking at do. you, Batman and Robin, like all, like all of them. Like Josh, they should treat movies like butcheries. Like we cut off all the parts we didn't want and then they'll sell those for like extra cheap. So like 
you can have all the scraps from Suicide Squad if you want to make a movie with those parts in Suicide Squad. What if they just cut up Suicide Squad, put it into Justice League, and then call it the Iyer Snyder Supercut Eleganza Suicide Suicide League? Got it. Iyer Snyder, Nicole Byer, Backslider, <laughs> Attention Biter. We're, we're trying to Backslider Universe. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one movie that doesn't need a recut or reboot, remaster, director's cut, whatever the fuck you want to call it to milk more out of it, is Batman Mask of the Phantasm. And for those of you that previously didn't have DC Universe, but now that it's switching, it's going to be on Netflix. And this was a movie released in 1993 theatrically, um, which was based and tied into the Batman the Animated Series uh, back in the 90s with the best cartoons ever made. Um, it's a fantastic movie, so it's coming out on a Netflix. Uh, I think this is our DC DC day, so it feels like we're talking about. Um, but so, first of all, how many of you on the podcast saw the movie or have seen the movie? I think I've seen it at some point. You would it's remember. The best, it's the best Batman movie it's ever made. So good! It's so good. I'm it's so excited fantastic. to show this to everyone. It's, yeah. It was very well well ahead of its time too, in that like uh, basically it introduced a jilted sort of like an ex-fiance of Bruce's um, who actually left him at the altar and uh, Andrea Beaumont. And then she's revealed to be Deadly Phantasm. You'd probably put it together. Spoiler alert for a 25 27. Hey, Adam. Adam, you mean spoiler alert for people who are traveling backwards in time. In time right. Not looking at toys. Um, but it's it's definitely, I mean, the, the, the animated series was generally a more mature show in the first place, but the movie was, I think, even more, uh, you know, a little bit more adult-oriented. Um, they weren't, like, banging on screen or anything like that, but it just definitely took things, stakes more seriously. But highly recommend checking it out. Phantasm looked uh, was based visually on a Batman villain that was uh, in one series called the Reaper. Uh, he was in uh, Batman Year Two, which is the follow-up to Year One that you know Frank Miller did. Year Two, I think, was written by Mike W. Barr, and then it was drawn first by Alan Davis, who we've talked about, uh, who's done Excalibur and X Men, and then then uh, by a little-known artist named Todd McFarlane created Spawn, um, and so. Um, like, like he was basically the Reaper had like a skull thing, had two like scythes, scythes. How do you pronounce that word? Scythes, scythes, and then like, but was red and black, whereas Phantasm kind of had that, but was all gray. Right? Um, I, I love this movie so much. I watched it like growing up when it first came out, and I was I. I, there, there's this big reveal that um, when the toy line came out, that like it was basically like it revealed who. Uh, the, the main bat, the big bad was at the end of it. So a lot of people were disappointed or whatever, but I never saw the toy line. So I was like, oh my God. It, and it like, and it, it really shocked me. Um, but because the name Phantasm or whatever, like it confused me so much with Fantasia back in my early lives. I literally thought this was a crossover with like, remember like Disney's Fantasia? Like, so I was like, I thought Disney was like a weird, like Mickey was going to show up and be a weird conjurer. Like I thought it was a crossover with that back in the day. Cause I ask of the Fantasia. <laughs> Amazing. A hippo, a dancing hippo comes through. You got <laughs> Mickey dressed as a wizard. Oh, oh Batman's going to stop that. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Batman I'm always confused. wins. I'm confused on AT&T and therefore Warner Brothers uh, or the way around Warner Brothers are there for AT&T's thought process on just kind of throwing all their stuff everywhere. Like why is this going to be on Netflix and not on HBO Max, not on DC Universe, etc. Like the, and DC they're do they're putting some DC shows on DC, DC movies on HBO Max and then they're going to remove them three months he, later and put I, new ones on. I don't, know, honestly, I don't understand the thought process by any of this. It seems yeah. like a uh, contractually they have the rights but they're slowly releasing some of them because they want them to not be likable does that make sense like they want them to be sort of like an addition onto it so people will watch but not be likable enough where they should continue it on so like do they 
like it. Do they want to like take things away so that when they come back, people like re up their membership? It just the whole thing seems very strange. I don't know why they're putting this on Netflix. I I mean, are they putting other DC stuff on Netflix? It might be that they might also have rights issue. Yeah, Yeah. and like rotate potentially rotate like some of these rotating contracts might have been signed way ahead of before any of these services came out. So like that because this is this is actually what when uh, my boyfriend and I. Andrew and I watched all of the Justice League or the new 52 Justice League stuff in order. Mm-hmm. Half of it is on DC Universe and half of it is not. You can buy it on Amazon. So I think they're just dealing with a lot of overlapping contract yeah. issues. Which I understand. I'm yeah, sorry. I understand that if they don't already have the contract, they're not going to be like, well, now we got the feels like they haven't looked 14 seconds in advance if they have something on their service and then they take it off of their service. This is not fun to talk about, but it's contract things. And then it's when you actually get the rights to it, which it makes a thing. And then, uh, and then it's when they actually release it, which are three very different things. Correct. have a lot of the rights to a lot of these things, but they don't. And want this to stuff is it. stuff you've learned from being on the dark web, right? Yeah, I understand going <laughs> no, from one from to another. Hotels, but yeah. I don't understand <laughs> removing it from your own service and giving it to somebody else when you've already gotten the rights for your own service and it's your service. That is, the, yeah, that's the most. Just, because that's you want to roll it out in a way that like capitalizes on that, but not throw it over to a different company and have to remove it three years later. Well, but an oopsie happens oh, all the time. No, it all know, seems very strange. No, but now that I think about it, I think what's probably really unique about this one is because it was like a theatrical release movie. Like there might be some different standards of rights to it kind of idea. I like, I just, don't, I don't really know. Like we're making all this shit up, but like. Yeah, there could be. But the only thing that's different about that, particularly Bat, like Batman thing is that it was a theatrical motion picture as opposed to like mm-hmm. a made for TV or. Uh, otherwise, but let, let's just have fun. Let's not get worried about all this. Like, I, jumbo. <laughs> also, I think Warner Brothers is sloppy compared to like Disney. Disney got a their shit together shit. for them. Disney for, but even Disney has had rights issues because like Infinity War is on Netflix, whereas like Endgame is on DC yeah. or on, on Disney Plus. So they've got they've well, got their was, own issues. Was, but yeah. yeah, that was before though. That was that was right. They they yeah. the, they they that's. The, excuse me, they're switching it back so it will be at some point on it and then they're not going to shove it back out to another company again. Well, did you see that? I think the funniest thing was like, it's the summer of X or whatever and it's literally like, all they're doing is just releasing every shitty X-Men movie that ever came out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is very intentional. And we're going to watch everyone and review them on podcast. (laughs) No, we're not. Oh, God. Maybe there's some executive at Warner Brothers who has like, the weirdest kink, uh, kink where he's like, I just want to pass these movies around to every streaming service. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know yeah, who that I is. His name movie. is Michigan J. Frog. <laughs> is he, uh, he's like he's about to be me too. But is that his name? What? God, no. I, I thought, was going to say uh, he's he's canceled because of blackface. Uh, you think? Yeah. Maybe maybe Warner Brothers is just a big cuckold and he just wants to see every other product fuck him and fuck yeah. him while he watches. I can just see some executive I can see some executive going, Oh, hurt me, and then you show him Wolverine Origins and he's like, No, not like that. No, 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 yeah, not that. Never no. mind, never mind. Yeah. All right. So in other animated animation news, it seems that several animation uh, studios and actors are beginning to recognize their complicity in um, uh, uh, color erasure in different TV shows. So Jenny Slate, who voices Missy on Big Mouth, and Kristen Bell, who voices Molly on the new Apple Plus show, uh, Central Park, have both said that they are stepping down from those roles. They are, um, Jenny Slate is a Jewish female and uh, Kristen Bell is, uh, you know, white. And they're both playing a um, mixed race and black characters. So with that in mind, I mean, we, it's a topic we've discussed many times before about voice actors playing characters of color in animated shows, um, you know, that are, that are cross race. Uh, what do you guys think about this? Kalen, uh, if I can throw it to you first. Sure. Yeah, um, I, I definitely have some 
mixed feelings about it because you also um, had Allison Brie, uh, who played Diane Nguyen on BoJack, one of our favorite shows, uh, a show that we did the uh, reviewed the last season on podcast, and she did a really nice job as voice acting. But she says she has regrets, and I kind of get that. I think you know I've enjoyed Jenny Slate as Missy on um, Big Mouth. I haven't seen Central Park yet, but I think Kristen Bell is a phenomenal actress. And I, I like her voice, but I do think it shows that there is, um, like Hollywood is pretty, um, it's colorblind in a bad way. Like they need to be able to hire more actors of color to play characters of color. And I think the worst example of it is, and this is, we've definitely talked about it before, is Hank Azaria playing a poo because he's not only was he playing, you know, a character of color, you know, an Indian uh, like myself, but he was playing a caricature. And I mean, that was like, that was straight up brown face. It was, a, it was like a minstrel show. And, you know, later seasons, um, you know, they added some nuance and depth to Apu. And I can honestly say there's been episodes that focus on him that I really love, like the one where he becomes a citizen, which I think is like one of the smartest episodes The Simpsons ever done. But it doesn't change the fact that um, it was problematic. And, you know, Azaria was really defensive about it. I think a lot of the Simpsons creators were really defensive about it. And then he backed away. I do think um, like these actors who are backing away now, you know, they're, I think they're doing the right thing. And I think Alison Brie, like uh, expressing regret is also, I think a step in the right direction. Um, yeah, I just think, um, you know, real life is catching up to entertainment. Adam? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on all your points, Kaylin. And I think the probably the most important thing, because especially with like, again thinking of specifically with Jenny Slate and Missy's character is like I think the character fits or the acting fits but what I, I think probably the biggest takeaway for me from all of this and I think what makes the most sense is like this is eating up opportunity for actors and actresses of color um, or yeah. even when it comes like I think of um, thinking more just in general diversity like when we had uh, I think it was Jacob Tobias or Tobias Jacob playing Double Trouble like this idea of like if a character is going to be a specific demographic, they should hire actor and actresses or just general yeah. people to fulfill that role, right? Like it's the same thing like where if you have, it's it, it's very similar, I think even in regular Hollywood where people play, you know, like uh, people play trans characters and it's like, why can't we find trans actors and actresses? Like it's, you like, yeah. And it's like, I think there's a great thing that like we've created, especially in animation, you've created a much more op bigger opportunity for a diversity of character. But I think you do have to fulfill that with the actual actors and actresses that like need that business and creates more of that actual diversity rather than just screen diversity. What were you gonna say, yeah. Ryan? It, it comes down to like, they want like notoriety. So they're trying to get these big names to come in, but they still want, I think this is probably probably removed from the creators itself because they've they've created these roles already with a very specific character in mind and they don't picture a white person coming in to portray this role so i think that just comes upon like the casting people to make sure that they are actually casting people and that happens to be unfortunately a lot of times unknowns which is scary for a lot of studios, a lot of just any productions, any TV shows or movies, because they don't want to do that unless you don't have a big name like connected to it. But just have someone in that role that is that role become that role. And I think you will get fruits of labor. And I think you once this happens, like it will show like these actors that happen to be voice actors first, but can go on to so much more because actors aren't just one thing. They're not just I mean, sometimes it happens where they're just a voice actor, but it's not a thing where it's they're cornholed into one. Um, cornholed? No cornholed. Oh God, yes, that's <laughs> pigeonholed. Pigeonholed. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, pigeonholed. Pigeon corn, Ryan. Pigeon corn. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lord. Oh my God. Um, it works though. My, I was actually going corn. off of Ryan's idea, which was good that I came after you. Um, th they mean these move shows especially ones that are streaming are just going after names. And I don't think voice actors, unfortunately, they're all they're fantastic, but they're not gonna cut it for what people do with this kind of prestige animated shows. They're not gonna want someone who's quote unquote a nobody. We're yeah. gonna have to cultivate um, 
Af actors of African American descent, uh, you know, like Asian American actors, uh, actors, trans actors, or any, any type, people of color. We're gonna have to get them to have, be bigger stars in yeah. order to then put them into these roles. Which this is what producers want. This is what casting directors are gonna want. They're not gonna want a voice actor, no matter how good they are, if they aren't named. Yeah. yeah. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, it is unfortunate, but I, I'm hoping it creates a cascading effect by, like, you, to your point, Clark you then have to cultivate like actors from different nationalities, ethnic origins, um, sexualities and gender identities yeah. uh, to be able to, you know, uh, to start becoming big names. Um, like we're starting, 100%. it's starting to be better. I mean, I mean, think about it like 30 years ago, it wasn't that long ago. Um, and you had Fisher Stevens playing an Indian character in short circuit, like a white guy doing brown face, yep. you yeah. know, and like that's in our lifetime. You know, I thought you were going to um, bring up Mickey Rooney, <laughs> but that was breakfast. That was but, but that was Caleb's that was time. My <laughs> lifetime, not y'all's. I was already going to make that joke, Clark. Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm glad I stepped on it. So, so um, right. not I don't want to uh, push back or say anything that you guys have said is wrong. Because do you not agree that people of color should actually be people of color on their? <laughs> no, I think I think there is something to like there is there is a feature that is very popular which is to say that people should play the roles right. that already are as human beings. And um, I think there's a problem to that for like being an actor and trying to show your versatility and being something different. I, I, think, I think people would say that, but I do think there's a real problem that like actors already self-select for roles where they're like a super specific role. They're like the weird doctor who hates women or something like that. And the other problem is that so many of these choices are monodirectional. It is always the case that a white person is voicing mm -hmm. or playing a person. Right. It's not like yeah. a world where anyone could play anyone. And so there's right. a lot of work Hollywood has to it's do. Not, like, it's not a level playing field. And so right. like the argument will like, That's oh, true. they're just acting, get over it. I'm like, no, it's not a level yeah. playing field. We have a real problem with diversity in uh, in entertainment. We just do. It's getting better, but it's you know not nowhere where it needs to be. But a, so if I could throw a question out, uh, sorry, Adam, what did you want to say? I was going to say, but a, the utopian vision would be that we would this opportunity would clear the way to like create the sort of equity amongst all sort of actors and actresses, and we could get to a point where everybody could play everybody because hopefully characters you know, depending on the need, but, but yeah, you have, I think this is the right way in the right direction. And then it's always like, what happens after that? We'll have to figure that out when we actually get the sort of equity that, that people are. That'll, that'll be a good problem. That'll be a good problem to have. Yeah. At that point, we won't have actors and actresses. They'll just be computer generated everything. <laughs> I was just going to say, that'll be <laughs> we're never going to get to that point. Right. I am on from or like whatever it is. Well, they You're won't the be like robot actor ever. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> You Dead reach it's all stilted, no timing. <laughs> um, uh, what so what do you guys what do you guys think then? Because in, in voice acting, there is a particular, there's another problem of male actors yes. voicing a lot of female characters. In Central Park yeah. alone, there are two characters. David uh, Diggs, the actor, the voice actor, and Stanley Tucci, both males voice females. I was gonna bring this exact thing up because the moment they brought up Central Park cast and we already talked about Kristen Bell I was like why the fuck would you cast her as as a um, a mixed race character um yeah why the fuck are you casting Stanley Tucci as like an 80 year old woman and is I mean and that's gone through or it's Nick, happened a lot we're like if you want some kind of weird crazy old woman then cast a cast a male to do it because it's funny to like have a really deep voice coming out of this person with, with that said, like, the same thing could have been said easily for I Love the Show, but Bob's Burgers, it's literally all Linda. a male cast except one female voice actress, but she's yeah, not, but, like, yeah. it's she's just white, I mean, well, some gay guys, but, like, it's just white guys voicing every voice. Yeah. Can I tell prominent. you, uh, Kaylin, I think you were going to say something. Yeah, I, um... I was gonna say Nick Kroll has the same issue going back to Big Mouth playing. He plays um, 
who's the the girl like that's like best friends with the most popular girl in school i can't remember the right. character's name yeah. uh but it's clearly nick kroll's like you know when he does drag on his show right like that's like the voice that he's doing the very kind of like long island you know what why don't you like me you know that yeah. character uh, uh and, but in the flip the <laughs> flip bad. of it is also yeah thank you uh the flip is um is the simpsons where you have Right. women playing the children like Bart and mm -hmm. you know Martin and yeah. uh I think Mil was Milhouse uh, a man or a woman voicing yeah. Nelson Nelson is also the same is Nancy Cartwright right well. mm -hmm. yeah it's yeah. like it's like yeah we gave a bunch of roles to Nancy Cartwright <laughs> <laughs> I I am less <laughs> I I have less of a problem with that than I do I think the erasure the erasure of people of color and people of gender identity and people of sexual orientation. I'm I will say, if that makes sense. I'm sorry. Comfortable about it when it comes to elderly women, because we don't have, we don't give roles to older women, you know, like after 40, as they say in Hollywood, like 40s, like fucking 80s, 80 for women. It's, it's yeah. rough that we're chopping out older female roles in order to, just have, to give them, to, make them everything. more humorous if a male's speaking them. To me, yeah. it's bad enough that like, like when I, when I watch a show like Adventure Time, you have tons of female characters, so tons of female voice actors voicing male or non-binary characters. And it works so well and it feels so refreshing to hear so many different voices in a show that like when I go to another show like Bob's Burgers, there is a part of me that gets a little bit graded by the fact that I'm like, yeah, these are like half the characters are voice like, Half of the characters who are prominent characters are just voiced by men, the same yeah. men. Right? I think it's I think it's just increasing uh, diversity just in general would help the entire goddamn industry, and we should just go run towards that okay. because it, I hate to go back to these like big names again, but like. Abby Jacobson on Disenchantment is probably one of the worst voice actresses I've ever heard in my entire life. Awful, she, awful. She does not belong on that show. She is absolutely terrible. I love her. I'm a huge fan of her. I love Broad City. I love all the stuff she's done with UCB and stuff. But, like, she is awful. And they got her because she is a name. That's it. So yeah. They need to accurately maybe – um, I don't know, maybe cast someone of color in a white role. Why is that outrageous? Because we have a extra men, like we have so many fucking white roles out there. Like, let's who just- is it, Who is it, Philip, Philip Lamar, who voiced- he's Oh, he's great. Black voice he's, actor, voiced Samurai Jack. He's so yeah. good. Well, he's, like he's, he's done a million characters in um, Futurama as well. Yeah. That is a voice actor. He is mm. right. Yeah. Hey, we all remember him when he had his start on Mad TV. Mad TV, yep. <laughs> it wasn't great sketches, but I do oh, like that. I love that. Yeah. I saw that as a kid. But no, I, I think in general, yeah, the, name, the naming thing never really occurred to me, but it makes so much sense. And it's so frustrating because, like, Disenchantment, not that I would have been really amazing, but the best people on that show are the people who are actual voice actors. Like, the king, who's basically I have the voice of Bender, yeah. I forget his name. That's fucking Elf. He's so good. And like it's it's actually I find Eric Andre and Abby Jacobson to be the the most uh, the least useful part of that team, which I think hurts because they're obviously some of the main characters. So um, diversity and quality, I think, is all we're asking for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's get some of that uh, Doom Patrol. All right. Yeah. Doom pothole, you mean? I didn't have anything. Um, no, no, no. That was worse than nothing. We're doing, we're doing podcast patrol. Oh, I, I thought you were. I, I thought you were going to do Doom cornhole. Doom cornhole. <laughs> Cornholing left and right. <laughs> patrol. Of Dom Doom cornhole. The second season of Doom Cornhole premiered on both uh, HBO Max as well as DC Universe. Uh, wonderful setup there by Warner Brothers. Uh, and so they're for the release, I think, with three episodes. And now we have the second week. So we got our fourth episode. Uh, just kind of real quick recaps of the episodes. And we'll flip over to hear everybody's opinions. Uh, you had really the first episode where we're coming left. Everybody at the end of the first season is miniature, mostly miniaturized. 
uh, after escaping the, the painting and saving uh, Dorothy Spinner, who is the chief's daughter, who is also a ape girl that has a penchant for summoning imaginary friends. Um, and really a lot of the characters have spent the past four episodes kind of coming to terms with a lot of the things that they both discovered about themselves when they found out last season that the chief caused their problems, um, but also just their ongoing storylines in the previous season. Really everyone's just generally very sad. Um, but so they managed to re-big, re-biginate, I guess is a great way. Embiggen. Cornhole. They record <laughs> and the subsequent episodes actually dealt with kind of like villains or sort of neutral players of the week, uh, both a Jack the Ripper type and uh, the terrifying Time Man. Um, and then the fourth episode really capped off uh, a great, uh, I, I thought a great four, four, first four episodes, but specifically trying to resurrect Danny the Street, who is actually now Danny the Brick, um, and getting to see all the Danny Zins come back um, and just, I think those are kind of the most, I mean, everybody, everyone's been having lots of character development. Uh, there's obviously something deep lurking within Dorothy that the chief and the rest of the team probably let should. Let me do it, let me do it. And, uh, and yeah, so Ryan, what were your thoughts on the, uh, Let me do quickly. The one thing you missed that I think is hugely important is the way they got embiggened is because, um, the chief gave away his immortality yeah, stone, immortality. Yes. which is obviously going to be hugely important in whatever, assumingly at some point Dorothy will, you know, think about doing a wish in order to make him not die since he's aging yeah. like crazy and he'll start you pooping think? everywhere yeah. according, to, <laughs> according to Rita. Yeah, that probably is the crux of the season. So thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> Um, it it one really thing, is. Um, I want to say I like that, yeah. that there's a moment where they basically are like, "So you gave up your immortality?" Yeah. Like they're just like, "That was dumb. That's your whole thing. Won't your daughter die? Was it like why'd you do that?" And he said, "It's because that's what this season is." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say with I think Timothy Dalton is the best thing about this show, and I think um, it was hobbled. It was hobbled last season because. He was gone so much. Yeah, agreed. I agree. I agree. Um, so I watched all four episodes like in pretty quick order over the last couple of days. Um, I'm already enjoying it a lot more than the first season. And I, I think I, re I didn't realize how annoying, as much as I like Alan Tiddick doing Mr. Uh, Mr. Nobody, how annoying the meta narration got. Yeah. And like that going away now, I was like, oh, this is kind of refreshing. Um, I even kind of liked Cyborg, uh, yeah. a, a character that I completely just despise in season one because he's not trying to be the superhero. He is now, like, he is a, a, somebody who's uh, faced trauma like the rest of the cast. And, like, his inclusion now makes sense. It doesn't feel shoehorned yeah. in anymore. Um, also, the third episode that had uh, Red Jack, the Jack the Ripper stand-in, that was sort of like uh, Clive Barker slash Guillermo del Toro right? character. Um, <laughs> so just just is my uh, uh, from uh, nostalgia purposes. That was the very first issue of Doom Patrol I ever bought Ooh, as a kid. Really? And oh, so like fun. seeing that like seeing that uh, in uh, on film was like holy fuck! I never thought this would happen. Like the butterflies, the way he's torturing um, Larry. You know, um, the chief is not even in that storyline in the comics, but the way he tortures the chief, uh, Nas Calder, like it's a lot of like really creepy body horror stuff. Um, um, the first episode I thought was kind of weak, the uh, the, mini the miniaturization uh, one, but I, there were some good character moments. I love uh, Dr. Time. Yeah. What a weird fucking character. <laughs> and, like, she bashes his skull out, at, I mean, his brain yeah. out. And the... Uh, and then, like, bad girls being playing all the time in a fucking, like, uh, little <laughs> roller rink. Mm -hmm. Love that. L uh, I fucking love that song. I love that scene. Uh, we talked about the Red Jack. I talked about the Red Jack episode. And then the Danny the Street episode, I think, is wonderful. Because I always love episodes that sort of center around a party or a club or something like that. Like, there's something very, gives me a very warm feeling. I think especially now during COVID, something that we can't go do. We can't go to a club. We can't go to a bar. Um, it just was like, oh. I'm getting a little nostalgic for that. Like, I kind of want something like that again. Um, I think the character stuff is amazing, and I'm still fucking shocked this show made it on any streaming platform. It is bonkers, and I really, really dig it. Ryan, what'd you have to say? 
um, it's it's very much like this show now knows what it is and it doesn't give a shit about anything else, which I really, really appreciate. Like the very first episode within the first five minutes, there's like someone raw dogging and having circus sex like on a countertop in the back. And then this little girl that's an eighth girl gets called a cunt. That's within the first five minutes. And so like nice. there, there's no distinction. This is definitely an adult show where you know the characters. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And I appreciate that they've leaned into it. This is what like a CW show wants to be. This is like this is so smart and it's by itself. And I just love, love, love the constant references to we could have been the X-Men, but no one liked us. It happens all the time and it's so clear. We oh, got a guy in a wheelchair, yeah. we're all weird. We will even call someone the sex men when they show up and they're the Ghostbusters. Like there's so many, it's it's a really well done show. It's it's a fun watch no matter how you feel about the superhero genre. It's just a weird psychedelic trip to be on. Every episode yeah. is so different. I love it. Right. So I think that one thing that's always difficult in any kind of ensemble cast where you've got very distinct personalities is adding a new character and not feeling like they're this awful addition. And I actually really enjoy the actress who plays Dorothy and her kind of internal struggle. Um, I think there's probably a few parts of the the broken Danny uh, fixing him uh, episode. They're a little overwrought. They're a little hyped up too much. But altogether, I still think she does a very good job of kind of feeling like she's fit in the entire time. Um, I stand Danny the street. Now Danny the vehicle, I think. I feel... I feel like with uh, Dorothy, the reason, I mean, I, I think she's hilariously weird just in terms of the actual process of what's going on in her freaking brain and, and all the, the strange characters that are popping out. I think it also helps that she's surrounded by the characters I like the most. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, I don't like Robot Man. I don't like Crazy Jane. I don't think the acting's that great there. And if that was her main storyline with those two, I don't think I would really give three shits about her. I almost want to fast forward every single scene that is Cliff or... Jane focused. Uh, Sorry, Adam. I was going to say, no, Clark, it's interesting you bring that up because I feel like in the first season and especially the episode where Cliff and Jane go to that like weird ice world. Yeah. I thought that was such a great episode and that's where I liked them the most. And I do feel like some of their inner, they've, it's kind of done a flip on me. Whereas like Cyborg storyline, now that he's kind of past his dad, but focusing on the trauma elements, like his whole conversation with the, the woman from the, um round like the group yeah the the group group was just like really good like i thought like and like just a lot of the the conversations that people are having are great whereas like robot man sort of like angry screaming persona is exhausting as is sort of jane's back and forth uh brain so i'm hoping they go somewhere but i will say that they feel it's the roughest and i think it's also because rita's not involved rita is a very centering force of the show i feel like she has a fantastic relationship with Cyborg. She has a fantastic relationship with Larry, with the chief. Like she just really interconnects a lot. And I think it's, she, the actress who plays her is wonderful. And like, it's just, I always like the scenes that more involve. And in fact, the only time I really liked Cliff and Janie's past four episodes was when they went to go fight Dr. Time and like yes. all, all kind of interacting. It's, it's much more, it, the show definitely does best when it has at least two people kind of doing something for even at least one person because there's a little bit more of a reaction and playoff. Yeah. Uh, I was um, uh, going back to Cyborg and the woman that he meets from the group. Um, when she uh, kind of uh, um, disables the uh, the kid who's like trying to mug her. Ugh. And, and like when he's like, I got to call the cops and she's like, what he's just a kid you know mm-hmm. like it's not a big deal let him go give him a second chance it just felt very um current right now it just felt very like i was like like it it felt like i'm glad that that scene was in there even though i don't think they intended for it to resonate in that way which is what makes it like very timely and not like shoehorned in or you know very preachy uh i love that scene uh i do love rita as well i will say um I like the character of Dorothy a lot. 
I don't really care much for the actress. And I know it's she's younger, she's a kid actress. It's just, I find like her deliver to be pretty flat. Um, and I don't like, I, I don't know, like the, the kind of, um, I don't know, like just her cadence kind of just makes me not want to watch her scenes. The, I think her the cadence act- is so weird that I enjoy it. <laughs> I was, That's strange. I was He's gonna Jeremy say, Irons. The only, exactly. <laughs> the only problem I had with that one scene, Kellen, was like that kid was that kid was not a kid. That actor was like thirty-seven. I was like, what the fuck is going on? A thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. I know. My I problem know, with that I know, scene. I know, I know. My problem with that scene is that this kid just shows up like he sees a guy who's got like a robotic eye and robotic hands walking away and he's like this is my opportunity to attack the person he was talking to like dude pick a moment don't don't go after known superheroes girlfriends with, with, with that said the dialogue in this compared to like a cw show or even like a marvel movie is way more realistic yeah. than i think we give credit for like one of one of the things when Rita was like being the most in the most recent episode, she was like, and then, and then another thing, and then and then what's his face was just like, hey, save it for the stage. Yeah, like just was like, can you talk like that felt real? And then yeah. like uh, when uh, someone said to uh, uh, the girl that was like, um, why the long face? And she was just like, that's just my face. I was like, that is good dialogue. I like that. Yeah. I knew okay. that line was going to happen, though. I've heard fun. that line so much before. Ryan, then defend Cliff's dialogue, which in, it's yeah. exclusively, fuck, or <laughs> I don't even know what's going on. Okay, okay you're, you're, you're so confused. I will, and I will do it right now. Brent, have you never met someone who loves NASCAR and racing that much that talks in that sort of same sort of cadence of like, Fuck! Well, now I can't see my daughter. Look, there's Fuck. a difference between being real and reality. That is everyone's uncle. That though. is too real. I don't want to hear a guy who's, <laughs> who be, whose whole shtick becomes, I say, inappropriate words in front of children. Hey, and girl, that's reality. What's Listen. going on? Beep, boop, beep. I'm a robot. Also, by the way, the doctor needs to take the ecstasy out of his brain because he doesn't <laughs> have a liver to process it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, That's no, it really sounds funny. like we, we all are really digging it. So I'm excited yeah. for more and I'm glad it's yeah. back. Getting four episodes in like a week is kind of a really nice treat, you know? Yeah, truly. Um, yeah. Should we move on to the comics? Yeah, we Just should. Just please. We are a little bit delayed on uh, recapping them because of Adam. But uh, <laughs> a few weeks ago. I didn't read them either. Uh, we got a restart on the um, metal series called what's it called? I'm trying to look for the actual comic death block. Metal. It's called Death Metal. <laughs> you fucking death? idiot! I don't know, Brent. Death if you metal. had to put metal on top of a rock thing, what would you say? Well, the funny thing is, you threw Adam under the bus for not reading it, and then you couldn't remember the title. <laughs> um. I'll start. I guess I'm um, so Death Metal now. number one came I out. I know I'm frozen. Zoom. <laughs> Zoom You're is not frozen. frozen. <laughs> Brent, we can hear you. Maybe just be quiet while I speak. Um, so Death Metal 1 came out, and I will say I it is a confusing comic because it a lot of stuff happens. And there's weird jokers coming from every fucking orifice in this fucking place, like popping in. But it is, um, it is still very entertaining. Adam, what do you think of this as being a metal fan? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It's definitely, um, and Caitlin, I'm hoping you can kind of point out uh, how we got to this jump. Because I think, like, to me, it reminds me of when I read Age of Apocalypse as a kid. I, like, never actually read what happened. I just picked up X-Men Alpha and then X-Men Omega. And like, so I, I appreciated it for that. Like it felt very much like Age of Apocalypse Alpha or whatever. Cause I was like, yeah. oh shit, we're already in this. And like, and they did have a really great like two panel description of I think everything that basically happened since Metal cause of Perpetua and all that. So I generally got the, the gist of the storyline. I love to know a little bit more of where the trigger was. Cause I enjoyed Perpetua? it. <laughs> Perpetua? It's Perpetua. 
Perpetua. Perpetua. No, no, no. no. It's that dank persona. Kaylin, it's that dank Perpetua. Uh, but yeah, overall, I did enjoy it. But no, Kaylin, do you want to give us like kind of a rundown of yeah. like what triggered this? Sure. So um, I think the uh, the coming in cold to death metal uh, where you feel disoriented, I think that's by design because uh, they didn't tell us like the world would be this way. Like it's just like it is based on what Scott Snyder has already done. And like he started writing for DC a while ago. During the New 52, he first started writing Batman um, and he built up like the Court of Owls and the whole idea of like Barbados, which is like from a previous writer's uh, idea. Then he did Metal, uh, which we all read and reviewed on podcast about the dark multiverse and all the you know various sort of Batman that are evil, uh, including one of the mainstays, the, the Batman Who Laughs, which is basically a hybrid of the Joker and Batman. Then he did the his Justice League series, which we started reading a bit of, and I think we got a bit impatient with, for a good reason, because um, it was a 39-issue epic that told one big story, which is a lot. And I think like there were some issues that were a little bit less great, for lack of a better term. They were just kind of like boring. But reading them all in one, like one kind of swoop, even like, it's like binging a show where like you can kind of forgive like the the lesser episodes because the larger story is kind of interesting and like i i respect the ambition of um if you remember the end of metal uh the um what happens is um to, to save the day the heroes end up destroying the source wall which is why like everything from the other side of the universe like kind of comes into you know this universe um and so like building up like on, on all the chaos that's happening um, the entire epic of just of Scott Snyder's Justice League led to like a cliffhanger where um, they were fighting Perpetua, who was like the she's the mother of all creation. Uh, she has three children: the World Forger, the Monitor, and the Anti Monitor. The Monitor and the Anti Monitor are long stay uh, uh, characters for DC. They were around for the very first Crisis on Infinite Earths, and so it all it's almost modeled after Hindu mythology. The World Forger is like Brahman, who is like the creator. Uh, the monitor is Vishnu, who's the protector. The anti-monitor is Shiva, the destroyer. And so uh, they have to like, you know, um, fight this like large battle between like Justice League who choose quote unquote justice versus like Lex Luthor's Legion of Doom that quote unquote choose doom. And those are like the two major forces in the universe. It sounds super cheesy and it kind of is, but it's sometimes the stuff I love about like uh, comic book universes. Like you can be bombastic over the top and do this crazy cosmic stuff. And so with death metal, it's basically Perpetua has won um, uh, and the heroes have to figure out now how to like unravel what the world looks like, which is a kind of a medieval Game of Thronesy type type world uh, where Wonder Woman is the ruler of hell. You've got the Batman who laughs, who kind of uh, like is ruling the above, the above ground. Um, and uh, all the heroes are doing like various various things. Ryan, you're about to say something? Yeah, no. <clears throat> I had a question for you, Caitlin. Actually, like uh, with that all being said, um, a lot of a lot of these uh, a lot of the issues explaining what has happened, like what has occurred, basically, and like oh, what's the new status quo? Do you think this series is justification for it to continue the story? Or do you think it's just sort of like capitalizing on something that was popular? Do you think it, uh, what is the line as being like a huge DC fan? That's a good question. I think um, DC has done a lot of crossovers uh, and events that kind of deal with like crises and like the universe being broken. We've got to fix it. Continuity has always yeah. been a big issue for DC. I feel like Snyder as a writer, Scott Snyder as a writer, has the uh, the chops to be able, not Zack Snyder, Scott Snyder specifically, has, the, uh, has the, the chops to be able to pull something off like this. And it's my understanding that like this uh, will, he's calling it an anti-crisis and it's even in the, in the title page. It's supposed to um, restore things the way that they should be and, create like a new status quo for DC, yet a new status quo 
but I like that it's bringing in everything because like that one splash page where you've got, you know, Wally Gorgeous. West explaining, Wally West explaining to Wonder Woman. If you notice, Wally West had the Dr. Manhattan symbol on his forehead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, it dealt with the, the first crisis on Infinite Earth. It dealt with the infinite crisis that brought like the 52 universes in. It dealt with um, metal. It dealt with the final crisis that Grant Morrison wrote about 10, 12 years ago. Um, you know, it dealt with uh, uh, Doomsday Clock even, uh, which many of us read. Uh, where, you know, the Watchmen characters were invading, you know, the regular DC universe. And then, um, and then like how it's all kind of building up to this crescendo. And so um, I'm, look, you know, fool me once, you know, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Uh, but like, fool me twice for the DVD. Yeah. Um, and I think we're at like number 17 on DC, but like, I am a sucker for this kind of stuff. Uh, it's just, it's a good thing that it's a writer I really like and respect and it's an artist who is super fucking talented. Um, and it had a lot of, the issue had so many elements that just made, made me smile. I do feel like DC tends to do more, all the, of all the, all the crossovers I have ever read in DC, I tend to enjoy more, I think, than Marvel's. Because I feel like for some reason Marvel's, and maybe it's just because they haven't had their, the X-Men ones have always been good, but like for some, I think Justice League just usually works better because even Metal itself was really interesting um, yeah. and to read. And I, I just think that sometimes, and maybe it's because they're usually like univer, universal or like cataclysmic, whereas like, I just think of some ways they tried to pitch. Um, I don't know. I mean, like essentially like this already seems far more interesting to me than uh, Realm of Empire. King. Empire. Yeah, or even Empire. Yeah. War, War of Realms. War of Realms. Yeah, sorry. I, I I do agree. I think I think DC handles like these big crossovers better because when they're like worlds are ending, universes are ending, they actually mean it. And when they're doing it in Marvel, like it is a self-contained thing. So that's why I think their continuity has held up so well because they haven't like broke the barrier of like nothing's real except for like maybe secret wars or whatever but like which they i loved kept those characters who they are the entire time where dc like throws it out so like when they come to these events they're they're fucking murdering people like left and right which is for me entertaining personally <laughs> yeah can we talk about deceased yes uh before we go there can we talk about a couple of things i just re really liked about uh death metal um yeah. t-rex batman yes t-rex batman ah! oh yeah love. that was fun I, I love wonder woman just razzing him it's like oh you think you're so bad how are you gonna th throw a batarang with his little arms can you drive <laughs> a car like it's great uh i love uh bruce wayne batman uh having a like a black lantern ring and bringing the dead back to life oh, like yeah. when i saw that moment i was like holy shit that was so fucking cool um it just it's like like oh shit great moment from DC's past that I just love, like as a and DC fanboy, like me. and it makes sense, yeah, totally. Like it fits very much in the story. So, sorry, Brent, we can go into Deceased now. Uh, so, Deceased is um, the first four issues are kind of filling in some of the additional story that wasn't told in the original run. Often taking the perspective of characters who you either didn't see or you saw but couldn't see their mental processes. So. The first issue focuses on Jimmy, who is kind of acting as a war correspondent, trying to document all the things that are going on. The second one focuses on Black Adam being the dictator of uh, Kandak and how he was able to prevent his country from uh, falling prey to the anti-life equation by killing anyone who uh, was infected instantaneously. Um, and then the third one follows the Flash and his goals to try and destroy as many phones as fast as possible and decides to assemble a team of other Flashes uh, and they try and run around the world and open a portal to an alternate Earth where they can ferry some uh, potential, you know, alternate universe refugees. Uh, but in the process, Max Mercury ends up being bit. And so um, uh, the Flash helps take him uh, to become one with the speed force, which is the way all Flashes must go. Yeah. 
And then the last one kind of uh, is split between a story of um, two characters who I'm not familiar with. One's like a bird person, the other's a teleportron, and <laughs> they're- oh, that's bird person and teleportron. You don't know? They're not, they're going to uh, you know, fake foreland. Uh, but really the more important story is Damien, uh, Batman's son accepting the cowl and deciding to uh, truly become Batman. Person, uh, bad person. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, you know, we reviewed deceased, uh, and while I liked it generally, I think the problem was there wasn't enough of uh, the world building in that main series. Like it just like went from point A, point B, point C, point D. This stuff I wish was was coming out concurrently as that because I think it really filled in the world very nicely. Um, I really liked uh, the Jimmy issue, number one, and I liked um, number three, specifically for nostalgia reasons, because I'm a huge fan of the Mark Wade era of The Flash, which almost became a team book, where it, it had all the speedsters, like Wally West was the main Flash, Barry Allen uh, had been dead for a long time, um, and you had Max Mercury as like this golden age character that had been long forgotten, Jay Garrick as the original Flash from the golden age from the Justice Society era, Jesse Quick, uh, you know, uh, Impulse, like all these characters, like that, like I love that era of The Flash so much, so much that it's hard for me to read any era after it, whether it's Jeff Johns or Joshua Williamson's or whatever. Um, and the one thing I liked about the fourth issue, well, I think it was kind of a weird flow and I didn't even recognize the main characters in the first part of the book, but I like that um, when they referenced J Jotunheim and then they had two characters, one named Manticore and another, uh, I believe his name is like, uh, Rustum or Rustum, they were Suicide Squad characters from the original series, and uh, they were part of a. Um, a Who directed uh, it? Though? Who directed uh, it? <laughs> it was the a, it was the James Gunn cut. He'll be back uh, in the James Gunn cut of Suicide. Unfortunately, this is like uh, the original Suicide Squad was it came out in the eighties, and so like the name of these bad guys was called the Jihad, and it's like you can't really say that anymore. Uh, <laughs> But the characters were really, really well realized, um, you know, and like, like, while Suicide Squad like ended up defeating them, like one of them, like, uh, uh, actually it was Robin, uh, who ended up uh, uh, joining, who was an Indian character, who was part of like a thuggy cult, you know, like from, if you've ever seen Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, super racist movie, but like it references, uh, like the, you know, the Kali worshippers, who are like part of this cult, um, you know, um, I don't think John Ostrander, the writer, actually got it correct, but it was cool seeing at the time, like, an Indian character in a comic. Uh, but, like, there were a lot of different, like, sort of, like, international characters from, quote-unquote, problematic countries, which is, again, very 1980s that you can't really yeah. do anymore. Uh, but, again, from nostalgia reasons, like, I, I like seeing those characters again. Uh, I don't want to speak ill of the dead. Look. Ah, <laughs> Um, I agree with you completely, Kaylin. I really, I'm just so disappointed that all of these couldn't have been infused into the original series. And I mean, for whatever reason, either it did well, so they expanded it, or they always had this thought. But it's very frustrating because I, I think I, I think it's called, was it Future's End? What's that really shitty New Fifty Two thing that I was trying to read that you told me not to read, Kaylin? It was like it takes place like was five years. Uh, uh, yeah. What was it? 52 uh, world's end world's end. world's end oh yeah that one's yeah. terrible and that's a perfect model for this because what it did is it like basically bookended like the the sort of uh front and back of the actual story with a bunch of one shots in between at least from a chronological reading order and it's like it's so frustrating because i would have loved to like i think to your point either make just the storyline and have these concurrently or just put it all together because so much of this stuff and I, even I liked uh, Black Adam's like issue I thought was actually really great I thought it was an interesting like deep dive yeah. on the character what's happening elsewhere and then obviously like the turn of it and there's just like a lot of detail that I think would really build this world out because I know that Tom, we know Tom Taylor in general is great but like that was what was so beneficial about Injustice that it had time to keep building out its world and and to make people care because I know that Clark hates this since um, it just doesn't there's no stakes but I think there's a lot of stakes if there could be uh, Ryan? It, it was fun. It should have just been released when all the others. Right. Were. 
It, it, that would have solved everything because everyone would have known wanted to know where all these like uh, secondary, third, like th these different characters. They would have wanted to know all of that stuff. With that said, the first episode I call Jimmy on the street, but I say it on the Billy on the street voice. Jimmy on the street. Um, Jimmy on the street. He's like, making nightmares come true. It's Jimmy on the street. They're fun, but it's that's it. Yeah. I'm more um, interested in death metal. Yeah, I am too. The but um, the sequel uh, to the proper sequel to Deceased is coming out next week. Woo. So I would like to try it out at least. What's it called, what Caitlin? Like. It is called uh, Dead World, Deceased Dead World. Let me confirm that. That's the name of the. Deeper. Dead Planet. Dead Planet. Deceased uh. Dead Planet. Yep. Uh, and then there's also going to be, um, next week is also going to be, uh, we're going to have an X book again, X Force number 10. And Yay. as well, as well as um, uh, Empire Fantastic Four number zero, which was the sister title to the Avengers number zero that we read last week. So I'm curious to see how they end up on the combined Skrull Cree like alliance. It's I'm curious on how fast we drop that title. Because I know it's not going to be good. No, it won't be. It'll be. It'll be like, mm, yeah, filler, exactly. filler, yeah. Especially when um, the X books start coming back, you know, on a more regular schedule, which I think is going to happen right. starting next week, and then we're going to like be back on a fairly, fairly good schedule, and then we'll have Ten of Swords in September, in October, and November. All right. Yeah. All great stuff to look forward to. This was our first podcast without any mutant madness yeah. uh, in our history. Just regular madness. Just regular <laughs> madness. Uh, well, that's been our episode. Good luck, everyone. Um, this has been Homo Superior. Bye. Bye. We love you. Bye.